Today's gospel is part two of last week's gospel. If you remember, Jesus goes to the temple, his temple that he went to growing up, reads from the prophet Isaiah the words that God has sent him to proclaim freedom, freedom from oppression, good news to the poor. And he says to the people there, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's where we pick up our gospel lesson today. Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, Jesus says, indicating that he is the one who has come to preach this good news, to liberate the captives, to set the oppressed free, to bring good news to the poor. And as we see in the gospel lesson, people are excited. This is their boy. Look at what he's grown up to be. Oh, wow, this is great. Jesus, though, says something in response that changes the dynamic considerably. He reminds them of God's work throughout history to those that are in need, those that are poor and oppressed. He speaks of Elijah, the prophet, and says that the one widow that he went and tended to was not of the Hebrew nation. She was not an Israelite. She was an outsider. That's who received the good news. Then he talks about Elisha, the prophet that followed Elijah, and that it was Naaman the Syrian, an outsider, that was cleansed of his leprosy. It was not someone of the Hebrew nation. It was not an Israelite. And as you remember in the gospel that we just heard, people are angry. It might be a little tricky to get emotionally connected with this gospel story. It might be easy for us to read it or hear it and to say, goodness, what was their problem? Whenever I find myself reacting to the scriptures in that way, I know that that's time to put the brakes on and to sit with it a little longer. And so in doing that, with today's gospel, I offer you this idea to try on for size. What if I were to say, folks, I believe that our endowment, we should give half of it away to the needy, people that are not a part of St. Stephen's at all, but who do need it. Do you feel something happen inside of you? I imagine that some of the folks, like my wardens, would say, Whitney, you know what, why don't you just stop right there? Let's talk real quick before you go and sabotage your leadership here. I can imagine that being cause for people to wonder if I was talking sanity at all, to want to push me outside of the boundaries of leadership and here being on the edge of Ridgefield to a place where my reputation might go over the cliff never to be recovered again. If we can sit with that feeling for a moment, then we become emotionally connected to this gospel story. Because Jesus was telling the chosen people that God came for all people and that his personal mission was to reach beyond the Hebrew people to bring God's saving news to them. The people that were sitting in his hometown synagogue thought that this was blasphemous. Didn't he remember the heritage that they have inherited? Don't, doesn't he remember the fathers, Abraham, Moses, Isaac? Doesn't he remember 
who it is, how he got here, who it is that raised him. And they drive him to the edge because they will not tolerate such blasphemy. We are challenged by this gospel then because we are as normal as the people that are in this scripture text. We're challenged to say, how is it that perhaps I prevent the love of God from going on beyond measure to the poor and to the needy, to the oppressed, to those that are in captivity? The leaders of the Episcopal Church for a long time have been wondering this question. It has become a bigger and bigger question about what it is that we are to do as the church in the world as we have watched the sun set on the day of Christendom. It's been a long sunset. It actually began coming down sometime in the 50s. Leaders of the church have been watching it continuously, taking measurements to say, is the sun really setting? Did it, did it move on the horizon? It's really been in the last 20 years that, that there's been a reality and a realization that, yes, actually, the sun is setting on the day of Christendom. And now what are we going to do? Our bishops have talked together about what this means for the church when its institutional nature is not something assumed in our culture any longer. In fact, our influence has been waning for almost 50 years. So what is it we're to do as the body of Christ, as people who are called to follow Jesus? What does this mean for us? In short, our leaders have called us to remember the gospel message, to remember Jesus' words so profoundly stated in today's gospel text and that what we find throughout scripture time and time again, that God's love is bigger than what we can imagine. It goes to those beyond our parameters. It goes to people we think, them too? Yeah, them too. And we are called as followers of Jesus to consider what that means. I'll share with you just a couple of ways in which this is being communicated. One is in our diocesan newsletter, when our own diocesan bishop writes at the very beginning about what does it mean to be the church in a post-Christendom era. He says, the future contours of the church will emerge as we follow Jesus in new ways and empowered by the Holy Spirit, try on many different experiments in God's mission of restoration and reconciliation. That's God's mission, to restore all people to the love of God, to reconcile us to one another. That's God's mission, and God's mission has a church. We want to be that. Our newly elected presiding bishop says the same thing in his little um, homily that he shared upon his election. Pamphlets were made that took some excerpts from his sermon there. He says, to go into the world and to help be agents, to be agents and instruments of God's reconciliation, that is the work of the church. To go into the world, to let the world know that there is a God who loves us, a God who will not let us go, and that this love can set us all free. It sounds a little scary. I know it sounds a little scary. I think it's a little scary. I can tell you, you don't have to worry too much because I'm not as good at loving people as Jesus is. I'll also tell you, I'd like to think I could learn how. How is it that we, 
can learn to love in the way that Christ loves? As followers of the way, how is it that we can take this into the world? Well, the leadership of St. Stephen's has been considering this over these three years, which is about, I've been here three and a half years, we've been working on this together, saying, what does it mean for St. Stephen's to carry this love into the world? And you've heard some about it. Some of it we have already talked about very obviously in our work together as a church. In the vestry's decision to make a budget that allows for hiring an associate rector for youth and family ministry, this is because we know that people aren't just going to come to church. We're not in Christendom anymore, where people just sign their kids up and everyone belongs to some religious institution for the sake of their knowledge in the world and who they're known to be in the world. People don't do that anymore, and we know that. So we want to go out into the world, reaching in to the needs that are out there, the brokenness, the hurting that is obvious, that we hear about, that there are measurements for. And indeed, we feel like to tend to the needs of youth and their family, youth being people 18 and under, and their families is a way to tend to the brokenness in the world. How can we help our children know how to be peace people? How can we help them learn how to not only be nonviolent, but how to be peaceful? There are ways, and we as a church can teach them that. We can teach them how to be generous and how to learn how it feels to be generous. We can empower them through our establishment to reach into the world and to make a difference. What if we taught our kids how to get, do microloans and we gave them money to go into the world and change the world with $150 or $200? And that money comes back and the next youth give it away again. We can do that as the church. What if we teach our children about the cycles of life because the church is one of the only institutions, if the only institution, that is intergenerational? Our kids have the privilege through the church of being with people across the generations. We can teach them that to grow, to grow old, to grow wise is the way that we all aspire to. That's what we can do together as the church. We can also go out into the world in the aging population. As the baby boomers get older, and I know that there's a good handle of you, um, handful of you out there, that becomes a reality. How do you be alive in the kingdom when you can no longer do all the things you could do, but you still have stuff to offer? How is it that you learn to go deeper into your faith when you're no longer building your life? How can you build your faith? We as the church can help this. We can help in this way. This becomes our agent of God's love into the world. So one of the things we're going to explore this year is how to staff, through volunteer and through paid people, a ministry to seniors and pastoral care so that those folks that are vulnerable, whose lives are changing in ways they didn't expect, know that they are a part of the kingdom of God, known through this community, St. Stephen's Church, and are agents for sharing the love of God in the world, even when they lose their driver's license, even when their eyes go bad. Indeed, we are the body of Christ. One thing we're going to continue to talk about is how we can use our resources to reach into the world. We have an incredible spot right here on Main Street, a beautiful facility that captures the eyes of many people that come by. I think it's fun to see the people who stop on Main Street to take a picture. It happens all the time. Whatever the season might be, whatever the time of day, this building captures our attention. And we want this building and this campus in capturing people's attention to point them toward the love of God and Jesus. 
What does that mean? We don't quite know. We have a lot to explore, and we want to liberate this, this campus for ministry to the world as we start right here in Ridgefield, but even beyond. We know that we have a lot. You know that we have a lot. We're grateful for that. And we scratch our heads because we wonder what God wants us to do with it. Indeed, that is the question. And my friends, we aren't going to know the answer without moving together as the body of Christ in love. That's the only way it will be revealed. It's an act of faith on all of our parts to move together as the body of Christ in love. We've been attending to our body this past year through natural church development. Some of you remember last year that I held up our little bar graph, and I have a bar graph to hold up again. We um, explored and took a survey in the summer of 2014 of people that are deeply involved in the life of St. Stephen's Church and asked them to share their experience on several items of what it means to be the church. So we got a very um, objective measure of a subjective experience. And it was from that that we learned that passionate spirituality was an area that we could really improve upon. It was small on the bar graph. Our Natural Church Development Task Force worked together to attend to passionate spirituality. And you remember that we did dialogue sermons and we had prayer groups during Lent and various other ways that we sought to capture what it means to be able to share our faith with one another. It's fun now to share with you that we did the survey again this past summer, offered it to the same group of people. We had only about a third that were different than the, than the first group. And we saw that the experience of St. Stephen's has changed. You will see that this is on a bar graph, and it is in the back. As you come past through communion, you'll find it where the leaflets are kept. You can see the comparison between 2014 and 2015. Learning to be the body of Christ is what we're about. How is it that we together, as a community of faith, known as St. Stephen's Church, carry this love into the world? That is the call that we have in Christ. That is the call that we own. It is the call that Paul gives us direction about in his letter to the Corinthians. Love is patient, Paul says. Love is kind. He goes on to tell us the aspects of love. This is what we hear immediately following the reading from last week about being the body of Christ. If you remember in the reading last week, it said, it talked about the gifts of the Spirit and went through all different gifts of the Spirit. And it said, but I will show you a better way. Love. Love is the way. We are invited to love one another. That's the gospel imperative given to us by Jesus in John's gospel, as he washes the disciples' feet and prepares to leave his earthly ministry, love one another, Jesus says. That is work enough. But God promises us in the work of loving one another that God's love will be made known in the world in ways that go beyond our parameters, in ways that can only happen with God's help. That is the life of faithful people. That is the life of faithful people when we live a life that can only be lived with God's help. Oh Lord, I pray that you will bless us as St. Stephen's Church, that you will empower us and remind us of your call on our lives, 
individually and collectively, that we might remind one another of the gifts you have given us and encourage one another to spend them on you, to spend them on your love in the world. Remind us that you are faithful, and may our remembering call us to be faithful to you. Amen.